Welcome to Pullback. I'm Kyla, and I'm here with Kristen. Heyo. Each episode, we challenge ourselves to try something new in ethical consumption, then we tell you what we learned, fuck-ups and all. And this episode, we actually did our first difficult challenge in a while, I think. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean... I didn't find it super difficult, to be honest, because in pandemic life, I'm mostly buying single ingredients, but I think it was, it did prevent me from buying chips for like two weeks. So <laughs> yeah, I found myself looking at the ingredients list more than I normally do because, yes. well, this episode, we're talking about palm oil and our challenge was to go without for two weeks. I think it ended up being almost three weeks. And because palm oil, I'm sure you're going to get into this right away, but palm oil has like 150 million secret names. <laughs> so I, I had to Google like every ingredient on everything I was buying if it wasn't a single ingredient item and just be like, is this palm oil? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anything that wasn't like clearly another thing, you, you, it could be palm oil. Who knows? Um, we'll we'll yeah. talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So... I, I, I wasn't perfect at this challenge. Um, my biggest mistakes were mostly when people handed me stuff. Like someone was like, oh, here, have a Twizzler. And I was like halfway through the Twizzler, like nomming happily. And then I was like, oh, no, there's probably palm oil in this. And there <laughs> is. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's, I think that's how, that's how we get you on every challenge is like people just are giving you things you shouldn't have. <laughs> I know. I, I just, I'm starting to realize like how kind and generous my friends are. <laughs> have a Twizzler, Kyla. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. <laughs> well, and also, I think I mentioned this to you, but because um, I started back at the the bookstore that I that I work at, sometimes it's like the one of my few jobs. It's uh, slowly reopening, but because we were closed <laughs> over Easter, we had all this Easter chocolate that was just gonna get thrown away. So they they gave some of it to us, and I was like, well, there's definitely gonna be palm oil in some of this, but I, food waste is worse, I guess, and it's, I'm not paying for it, so <laughs> I don't know. Let's <laughs> just hang on to it and eat it today now. You've got to binge it in the 24-hour period we have. <laughs> Wait. Actually, it's not even 24 hours. It's like 12 hours between palm oil and plastic-free. <laughs> so, wait. I didn't. I thought that stuff that we already owned was off the hook for, for the plastic-free. Does, does it just have to stay in my cupboard now? Oh, no. Well, we'll, we'll have to sort that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to count stuff that's already in my house. And I'm just on the record for that now. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So should we talk about palm oil? Yes, please. I'm actually really ex interested in this topic um, personally. This is one that I find very upsetting, but also like super, it's just so big. It's such a big topic. Yeah. Um, I would say it's like kind of on the scale of clothing in the sense that it like touches on a whole bunch of different problems. And um, that's. I think that's really interesting because it is really like a narrow... Like it's it's one kind of oil that really wasn't used that prominently until recently. So it's a kind of a cool story. Okay, cool. I'm really, really yeah. excited. Tell me. I mean, I, I don't know if excited is the right word. <laughs> Apprehensive, <laughs> but curious. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so uh, we'll start with just saying what palm oil is. So palm oil, it basically comes from the fruit of oil palm trees, which is it's kind of straightforward, palm oil, oil palm, you know. Uh, their scientific name is Elias uh, Janensis. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but... I don't know, sounded dead wrong, <laughs> sounded dead on to me. <laughs> <laughs> is that Latin? We need to brush up on our Latin. <laughs> uh, yeah, my sister took intro to Latin in undergrad, and she basically just learned like pirate words, so I don't know. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if that would have helped. <laughs> Well, I'm always like, um, you, like you hear those like pretentious mottos that are always in Latin. And I'm like, Lauren, identify that for me. And she's like, I don't know how to say that. But if you ask me what the word for booty is, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and so there are kind of two kinds of palm oil that you might get. Um, palm oil itself is from the fruit of the oil palm trees, whereas palm kernel oil comes from crushing the kernel, which is the stone that's in the middle of the fruit. I wasn't able to really find anything on whether they're different. I don't think they really are, but maybe there are some like slight subtleties. Uh, palm oil is produced a lot. There are 66 million tons of palm oil produced annually. So that makes it the most commonly produced vegetable oil. 
So more than sunflower oil or rapeseed oil or coconut oil or any other vegetable oil. Wait, would coconut oil not technically be palm oil because coconuts grow on palm trees? This was something I was kind of confused about. No, because um, palm oil only refers to the oil from an oil palm, whereas coconuts are from a different kind of palm. And uh, likewise, um, you know, like carnauba wax and candelilla wax? I don't know the difference. (laughs) Yeah, I don't don't really remember what... Candelilla wax, I think, was we talked about in the veganism episode because it sometimes coats fruit. Um, And carnauba wax is sometimes used in candy. Um, But anyway, those two things are not actually palm oils, even though they're from palms because they're from a different kind of palm tree. Okay, cool. Thank you for clarifying. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I, I think I may have just made things more confusing. (laughs) No, not at all. Definitely not. Point being, oil palm is palm oil. (laughs) Think about it that way. (laughs) And it is the most common oil from vegetable sources. Got it. Yes. And that's a very recent phenomenon. It, um... Up until sort of like a few decades ago, palm oil was not used nearly as much. So global production of palm oil has doubled in the last decade. It's really quickly growing oil. And we'll talk about why throughout the podcast. So yeah, as you were alluding to earlier, there are approximately 200 alternate names for palm oil and palm oil derivatives. um, And they're used in cleaning products and cosmetics and food products and It can be really difficult to know if there's palm oil and what you're buying for that reason. So I did find a trick that you can use if you're interested in knowing whether there's palm oil in something you're buying. This is not a perfect trick, but there are four root words that will give you an indication that an ingredient might be palm oil derived, although there are other words for palm oil that don't start with these four root words or don't have the roots in them. And also there are some roots that aren't palm oil. Yeah, they share. Yeah, there was one because I know one of the root words is probably palm. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, yeah. (laughs) But there's like a a vitamin K palmite or something um, is an ingredient that I would sometimes see. And I found out in my research when I was trying to decide if I could buy something that vitamin A or vitamin K or whatever palmite isn't always from palm, even though the word palm is in it. So I was like, oh, interesting. This just makes it way more difficult. Yeah. So usually though you can, because we'll talk about this a little more, but oftentimes the reason palm oil is used is because it's cheap. And so for that reason, it's become pretty ubiquitous. So if you're buying something and you don't know whether it's palm oil and it has one of these four root words, It might not be, but it probably is palm oil. I I just think that's probably a fair assumption to make. So yeah, the first root word that you can look for is palm. I'll just list a couple of the like ridiculous names that are here. So have you ever seen palmitate in anything, Kyla? (laughs) I don't even know. (laughs) I definitely have. I've definitely seen it a lot, but I cannot remember what products it's in. Yeah, I have no idea what it's in. There's also palmoline, palmitic acid. Palmitil alcohol, <laughs> hydrate, hydrated palm glycerins, and ethyl palmitate. So those are all some variations of palm that you might see, although there are just a whole bunch more. Uh, the next root word you might see is steer, so S-T-E-A-R. So you might see sto- sodium stearate as one of them, or stearic acid. And then there are two that I found when I was, I basically went through my like my cosmetics and looked at the ingredients list. And there was a powder foundation that I had that had two palm derivatives in it, and they both were ridiculously long. So I'm going to attempt to pronounce them. Uh, so the first one is pentaterithylitil. Wow, tetra- that was really good sounding out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm not even done. Uh, <laughs> Tetrasostearate. So that's I, one. I interrupted you halfway through because I was like, it must be done by now. <laughs> nope. Nope. That was just the first word of two for that one. Uh, and then the other one is uh, octildodecyl steroil stearate. So those are both palm derivatives with steer in them. Then the other two are lore. So you might see stuff like sodium laurel or sodium laureth. Uh, that's an option. And then the last one is glyce, although this can often be other things, I think, but 
uh, glyceryl hydrogenated palm uh, glycerides are two examples of that. So if you see any of those four root words, then that might be an indication that there's palm oil in something. But if you don't see those four root words, it doesn't necessarily mean that what you're eating is palm oil free. Yeah, we'll share like I found a website. I'm sure you use the same one that has a list of you can look it up like all the different words for palm or at least as many as they could list. So we'll share that as well. I was using that when I was looking at ingredients and stuff. Yeah. Um, another thing to note is that sometimes palm oil can be labeled generically as vegetable fat or vegetable oil. So <laughs> even if you're looking really carefully for like those specific names, you might not necessarily know. Although the EU has uh, made a rule. So if you live in, in, the, in the EU, then palm oil can't be labeled as generic vegetable oil. So that trick can't be used against you. But Yeah. When I was doing my challenge, I don't know about you, but anytime I saw an ingredient that just said vegetable oil, I had to put the product down because I was like, well, yeah, probably palm. I don't know, but I, <laughs> yeah. it's not. I can't. This, this is a challenge. So I actually emailed McDonald's Canada to ask because they listed like <laughs> vegetable oil as an ingredient in their fries. And I was like, can you be more specific? And I sent that two and a half weeks ago and they've gotten back to me twice to say that they've they're elevating it because they don't know and I was like cool oh, no. but then I looked it up I looked up uh, McDonald's in the UK and probably because of that um, EU ruling and they've only just left the EU they listed all of their ingredients properly and they're not using palm oil in the French fries in the UK so I assumed that the ones here are probably safe and I ate a few <laughs> nice <laughs> Yeah, my version of that was I had bought ice cream and I was like, oh, fuck, palm oil challenge. Uh, <laughs> but it turned out I was okay. There's no palm oil in it. So I was accidentally not breaking our rules. Yeah. Well, my favorite chocolate milk uh, that I really treat myself with, it's like an almond chocolate milk and it just gets me through the week. I'll be honest. It's my favorite, but it definitely has palm in it. And so I, uh, it, like it says on their ingredients on their website. So I emailed another company that had like um, another chocolate milk that I like almost as much. <laughs> and they got back to me within like a week to say like, yeah, there's palm in it, but like we try to use very, very little. And they actually had a really good answer for me, but it was still like, I'm doing a challenge. I better yeah. not. Yeah, that's fair. But I mean, maybe after this week you will. I definitely will. I miss my chocolate milk so bad. <laughs> Although I'm going to feel bad about it immediately after this episode when you tell me about palm oil. Well, I think like this whole, I mean, we're going to make this a two-part episode, but this whole two-part series is going to be a story of the flaws with palm oil, but also sort of the dilemma that the alternatives might be worse. So what do you do? So I don't, I won't want to spoil the ending because otherwise people won't listen to part two, but. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. I know that palm is bad, but I also know that. <sighs> You, you're about to tell me, but I, 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 from what I could tell, it's like the lesser of all evils and it's still pure evil. So I was like, what do you do? And I was like, Kristen will tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely complicated. So we will talk about that. But before we do, we should talk about where people might find palm oil and things like that. So the first, uh, first thing to note is that palm oil is in a lot of stuff that you'd buy at the supermarket. So more than 50% of packaged supermarkets supermarket products contain palm oil. You can look for it in packaged foods like pizza, donuts, chocolate, margarine, noodles, ice cream, bread, chips, cookies, all the good stuff. Literally anything <laughs> with more than one ingredient. <laughs> Basically, it's used wherever you need a fat of some kind in food. So anything delicious. <laughs> uh, and uh, it, it can also be found for similar reasons in personal care products and cosmetics. So deodorant, shampoo, toothpaste, lipstick, stuff like that. And there are also some cleaning products that have palm oil in it. The two other places that palm oil is found are in animal feed, which it, doesn't directly impact the consumer, but it is sort of like soy in that it gets fed, fed to animals and increasingly in biofuels. And that's uh, has something to do with the European Union's rules around biofuel sustainability. I don't look into that that much, but it seems to be a big driver of demand now. So it does kind of matter. Uh, another thing with palm oil is that in African and Asian countries, 
Palm oil is a popular cooking oil, so you might not necessarily see it as much in packaged products, or you do, but you also see it in just, it's like our ver- their version of canola oil a lot of the time, or sunflower oil, or whatever the, the local oil you use is. So about 40% of the world's palm oil is consumed in China, India, and Pakistan, and a lot of that is because it's used as a cooking oil there. If you look at the breakdown of the palm oil industry, the food industry uses about 72% of all palm oil. So most palm oil is going into either cooking oil or those packaged products. And then another 18% is taken by cosmetics and cleaning products. And then the remaining 10% is biofuels and animal feed. So that's the breakdown there. So why is palm oil in everything? Palm oil has a lot of useful properties, and that's part of the reason that you see it so often. So one of those is that it is semi-solid at room temperature, which means that it can keep spread spreadable. So if you're thinking about like a hazelnut spread or something like that, palm oil can often be used because the consistency is good and it's what um, they want and people want in the product. Palm oil is also resistant to oxidation, so it can give products a longer shelf life, which is something that businesses want. Another benefit is that it's stable at high temperatures, so it can help give fried products a crispy and crunchy texture, which is another thing that food companies really enjoy. Man, so far you're making this thing sound amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually palm oil. is It's a really interesting product because it's sort of a miracle oil in a lot of senses. And the, the challenge is this, that we're being very irresponsible with how we grow it. So the last benefit of palm oil or useful property of it is that it's odorless and colorless. So it doesn't alter the look or smell of food products, which again, businesses really like if they're trying to design the like perfect cookie or something, it, the palm oil is not going to impact the flavor. Yeah. So in addition to those useful basic properties, palm oil is also used in some products because of its health properties, actually. So... Palm oil doesn't have trans fat, and it actually has a lower saturated fat content than butter. And that's a big part of the reason that food companies have sort of moved towards palm oil. Uh, The reason for trans fats, as I understand it, other vegetable oils basically have to be partially hydrogenated so that they can become more solid, and that creates trans fatty acids, whereas palm oil is naturally hydrogenated, and so it doesn't have trans fats. So a big part of the shift towards the use of palm oil was food companies were sort of looking at the scientists as there was a consensus forming around trans fats. And they were saying, oh, gosh, the public doesn't like trans fats. Um, We're seeing an emerging consensus that it's unhealthy. So we better find a way to get trans fats out of our foods. And voila, palm oil was there not having trans fats and also being really cheap. So that's great. Another reason is actually uh, animal rights to a certain extent, uh, because palm oil and palm oil derivatives were able to replace animal-based fats in foods and cleaning and personal care products. So, for example, you used to have soaps with animal tallow in it a lot of the time, and palm oil was able to have the same properties as that. And so it made them the only suitable uh, plant-based alternative. I think at the time, I think now there are some other alternatives, but... But it was sort of a a big benefit of palm oil is that it could replace these animal products that um, consumers were sort of pushing the market towards. They wanted plant-based alternatives. And then uh, the the BSE outbreaks, bovine encephalopathy, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what it stands for. Um, But the BSE outbreaks that were happening to cows, you know, like mad cow disease in the late 1980s and early 1990s, that really pushed a consumer consciousness away from animal byproducts, and it triggered a larger shift toward palm oil. The irony, of course, being that because it's so irresponsibly <laughs> like grown that now what I think orangutans are like almost they're super endangered because of the palm industry and because of all the deforestation that ha- is happening that I'm sure you'll get into that like of course, now animals are still being they're still suffering in the process of this, although Yeah, I guess I don't know, like, what's better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was actually, I was listening to a BBC podcast about this today. Um, I've linked to it in the research notes, so if you want to see it, you can. And, And one of the points that they were making is 
for environmental reasons, a lot like environmental reasons drive the shift to plant-based products a lot of the time. But if you're shifting from taking animal byproducts from like a meat processing plant that's a few kilometers from you versus shipping in palm oil from Southeast Asia, like what's really more environmentally friendly? And that's a really complicated debate because it also sort of supports the meat industry and blah, 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 blah. But it just points to like on every facet, palm oil is kind of the solution to a unique problem that we're having. And in many cases, it seemed like the ethical alternative. And now there are all kinds of problems resulting from how much palm oil we're using. I just find it so interesting. <laughs> yeah, in like a really depressing, horrible way. But also, it, it is. You dissociate yourself from it. It's interesting. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, it's hard. Like, it, it's, it's a really good example of like how difficult it is to solve problems. Yeah. And uh, I'll just point to the last reason that we use palm oil, which we've already sort of said, but it is the biggest reason. Palm oil is super cheap because it's a really productive uh, plant. You can produce a lot of palm fruit from oil palms. Um, and so that's part of the reason that it is such a ubiquitous item in a lot of industries today. It's just super cheap. Who doesn't like cheap additives? So in terms of where palm oil is produced, oil palm trees are actually native to West Africa, but most of the palm oil that's produced today is actually produced in Southeast Asia. So Oil palm trees were basically brought to Southeast Asia in the 19th century, and for that reason, they were there, and now Malaysia and Indonesia are the biggest palm oil producers. They produce about 87% of global palm oil, so almost all of it, although that's starting to change a little as palm oil is growing. Uh, it's starting to be cultivated in other places. So yeah, there are 42 other countries that also produce palm oil, and that includes West and Central Africa, which is where oil palm plants are initially from, as well as Southeast Asia. So there are other countries other than Malaysia and Indonesia and Southeast Asia that produce palm oil, and then Central and Tropical South America. So it's it's hot, humid places. That's where palm oil palms grow. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about palm oil production because when we start to talk about the ethical problems with palm oil, having that context is going to be pretty important. So oil palms are, they're grown and harvested on large, medium and small scale oil, um, oil palm plantations. And the palm oil industry is basically dominated by about a dozen corporations that operate large-scale plantations and mills. So a lot of the palm oil that's produced is from those large-scale plantations. And in fact, there are three largest players that they control about a quarter of the industry just by themselves. So that's um, Musin Mas, Wilma, and Sim Darbe. We will talk a little bit more about Wilma later, but just... Important to note that these are really big multinational companies, but they are actually, in the scheme of the agri, like the agribusiness um, industry, they're actually fairly small. So most of the really big agri agribusiness companies are, are headquartered in Western countries, and these these palm oil focused ones are smaller. They're still big companies, but smaller compared to the the top agribusiness companies, and and they're actually headquartered in in Southeast Asia. So. It's kind of an interesting uh, change in global dominance. But although large-scale companies play a big role, there are at least a million small-scale oil palm producers in Indonesia alone. So there's a concentration at the top. Yeah, there are lots of large producers, but there's also a lot of really small producers, and that can make the situation more complicated too. Oil palm trees grow up to 20 meters tall, and they have an average lifespan of 25 years, but they start to bear fruit after only three years, which is a, a pretty small amount of time, and they reach their peak production between years six and eight. So basically what happens, you've got these oil palm trees, and they, they have fruit bunches that they can contain between 1,000 and 3,000 individual fruits, and the fruits are all the size of plums. So on these fruit bunches, and the bunches weigh somewhere between 10 and 25 kilograms. So you can kind of imagine that harvesting uh, the fruit of oil palms is pretty physically demanding, right? Because you've got to go up this 
this tree that can be about 20 meters tall and hack off branches that have these fruit bunches that are between 10 and 25 kilograms heavy. And you're doing that using a long steel pole with a sickle at the end. And it's it's hot and humid because that's the only place that oil palms grow. So it's kind of, yeah. I genuinely cannot imagine. Like, <laughs> you said they were like 10 to like 20 kilograms heavy. I was like, wait, what? Because you have to climb up <laughs> them. Like climbing a tree to get the fruit isn't bonkers enough when it's already, you said 20 meters tall? Jesus. Did I say, yeah, 20 meters tall. It's, that's tall, man. Ah. Yeah. I was uh, one of the interviews that I was listening to. A journalist was trying to climb up and cut down one of these brand, these uh, branches, <laughs> and she was like, "It's too hot to do this." And eventually, she gave up, and the guy that she was interviewing had to go up and go down. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what kind of challenges we need to do. Yeah, but, just uh... start hacking off trees. <laughs> the city of Ottawa will be so upset with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there's any trees tall enough for me to, to for me to climb and hack something off here. <laughs> yeah. So another thing is, uh, like sugarcane, oil palm fruit has to be processed within 20 or really quickly after harvesting. So for the case of oil palms, it's 24 hours. And for that reason, there are also these palm oil mills that are usually situated within the country. And that can be a source of problems, too. Anyway, that's all the context that you need to know about oil palms before we start getting into all the problems. So should we talk about the environment first? Yeah, because that's... Well, wait, I thought that would be the biggest one, but now that you're starting with it, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big one, yeah, and it's probably the one most people have heard of. Uh, We'll talk about people, I think, in the second part of the series, but people will probably have heard of deforestation being associated with palm oil before. Palm oil is a major driver of deforestation, so I found a figure that looked at all the new palm oil plantations that were developed in Malaysia and Indonesia between 1990 and 2005. So those are the two main countries, and that's a big period of growth for palm oil. And in that case, approximately 55% of new plantations resulted in deforestation. So a lot of the story around palm oil is there's this growing crop and you need to find places to grow it in these tropical places. And so what ends up happening is rainforests get cut down. Problems, right? Yeah. uh, I mean, that sucks because biodiversity and, you know, certain animals and insects and plants can grow in rainforests, but can't grow in a homogenous group of palm trees. I, last year, I took a bus from Singapore to the top of Malaysia. Uh, It was a really long bus ride. And (laughs) Almost the entire way, all I saw were palm trees. And like it was something that I knew conceptually going in. I was like, oh, yeah, I know Malaysia is like famous for the palm industry. And I know the palm industry is famous for deforestation. But it was when I was on that bus going through the country that it just really sunk in because like Malaysia is not a small country. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, Compared to Canada, yes, but it took, like, it was like a 10-hour bus ride to get from Singapore to where I was going, and almost the whole way. And I've flown over Malaysia as well on another occasion, and when you look out the window again, it's just like, it's mind-boggling, might be the word. Yeah, and I mean, with Malaysia, a lot of that is deforestation. Some of it's also reconverted forest from rubber, which was actually the first source of, well, maybe not the first source, but it was a previous source of deforestation. So, Well, and rubber has its own sad story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of the problems we're going to talk about, they're not unique to palm oil. It's just, it's what happens whenever you've got a cash monocrop that you're putting somewhere, you know? And you're not being careful about where you're putting it. Palm is such a such a a, a huge example of it. Maybe the biggest example of it. I don't know. <laughs> Definitely for this moment, it seems like it. So, as the palm oil industry expands, the the space for new palm oil plantations is often made through deforestation. And one part that's particularly troubling is it's often through peatland clearing. I'll talk more about what peatlands are. But I I do want to contextualize it a bit because people often 
talk about palm oil as though it's the single biggest source of deforestation. And that's not true at all. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it is a big source of deforestation. It's responsible on its own for 8% of deforestation. That's not small. That's something we need to pay attention to for sure. But it's smaller than I thought it was for sure. Yeah. But if you take into account that 53% of deforestation is caused by agriculture, like that's a pretty small chunk of that Uh, section. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So as anybody that's been listening to this podcast for any amount of time will already know, um, (laughs) the biggest problem is it's animal agriculture. So 24% of deforestation is land used for livestock directly. And then of course, land used for their feed after that probably, right? Yeah. So the next largest source of agricultural deforestation is soybeans, which mostly used to feed animals, and then from corn, which is also mostly used to feed animals. So if we're looking at changing one consumption practice to counter deforestation, palm oil isn't like the obvious thing we should demonize. Fair enough. Yeah. Just to put things in perspective. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, because you hear about palm so much now, or at least I do, mm-hmm. that um, yeah, it just seems like more of a boogeyman than I guess it deserves, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I think like if you're going to change one agricultural practice on deforestation grounds alone, palm oil is not where you should go. It's stopping to eat animal agriculture. Um, The data just supports that. But having said that, it is still like 8% of deforestation isn't nothing and it could be less. So we'll talk about that a little bit more. I also want to put it a little bit more in perspective to just say, even in places like Indonesia, where you have a lot of palm oil production, like land clearing for pulp paper and timber is actually still a bigger source of deforestation. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. So if we stopped producing palm oil today, we wouldn't stop the deforestation problem, which is not to say that we shouldn't care about deforestation and palm oil. We should. Part of the reason for that is that the forests that are being cleared for palm oil plantations are in some case really biodiverse or there's some in some cases particularly efficient carbon sinks. So it's like a double whammy. In particular, Indonesian forests are really efficient carbon sinks. They're actually in some cases even more effective than the Brazilian Amazon uh, per hectare for trapping carbon. And that is because there are something called peatlands, which they're basically low-lying rainforests that are located close to coastal areas. So the peat basically exists under the forest and that it's essentially just an accumulation of decayed vegetation. And it was formed because there are swampy conditions where plant material fails to fully decay and it can be up to 10 meters um, or more. And that can be sort of an accumulation of thousands of years or longer. So that's all like stored carbon that's at the bottom of these forests. And the problem is that, I mean, it's really it's really great. These peatlands are really effective carbon stores. They can store up to 20 times as much carbon as tropical rainforests on normal mineral soils. So there's this like, they're the super potent carbon store. But the problem is that as the forests above them are deforested, those sinks are released and it makes the, them something that has been basically called a carbon time bomb, which you don't want. <laughs> no, that sounds awful. Well, and also deforestation often involves burning the forest. So it's like a, it's, it's, it's bad. <laughs> it's, it's not good. No, we'll talk more about climate change a little later. But the, just to say that like, that's a particular reason why, even if the number is only 8%, maybe this 8% matters particularly more because of the kinds of forests you're deforesting, you know? And the other thing being, palm oil is expected to double in the next decade, right? So as it continues to expand, that 8% might become 16%, and that wouldn't be good. Yeah, especially as it looks like more and more people are moving away from animal products. So that would give palm a bigger (laughs) (laughs) bigger foothold. Yeah. 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 So so there's like there's an impact of palm oil. It's maybe not as catastrophic as it's sometimes been made out to be, but it is still bad and we should be worried about it. And uh, it because palm oil is growing, that effect's gonna get worse over time. At the same time, palm oil could be a lot less destructive if we were sustainable about it, right? So you could 
reduce or avoid deforestation by planting in areas that have already been deforested. And that would solve a lot of our problems at once. Well, I want to talk particularly about biodiversity loss as well. Um, you've, you've already sort of alluded to it, but maybe we'll cover it in a little bit more detail. So this is this problem again, it's it's connected to that deforestation problem because it's the destruction of ecosystems that these animals are living in. So palm oil expansion could affect 54% of threatened mammals and 64% of threatened birds globally. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Some of the species that are threatened by palm oil expansion include the cotton top monkey, the chimpanzee. Sumatran tigers, African forest elephants, orangutans, gibbons, sun bears, which makes me really sad. They're super cute. Yeah. And kangaroos and cassowaries. Oh, I love cassowaries. Well, I was Those just going to the- say they're the ones I don't feel bad about because they're basically raptors. <laughs> <laughs> if for anyone who doesn't know what a cassowary is, Google it right now. It is a huge, terrifying bird that I saw a whole bunch in Australia. And every time I saw it, I felt like I was like, did I accidentally hop in a time machine? <laughs> it's like if you were if you were like, hey, what if I took an emu, already a terrifying creature, and I like <laughs> put a cleaver on its head? Cassowary. <laughs> yeah, I just thought about them as like just if turkeys were is twice as big as like a teenager <laughs> you almost made me do a spit take all over my laptop <laughs> they're really weird but i love them they're super cool animals they like they they're like the only animal that can eat this type of poisoned tree and they eat their seeds and then they poop them out and without cassowaries you lose that tree oh great so they can withstand poison so i can't defeat yeah, them in can. any way <laughs> That doesn't make them less terrifying. Yeah, however scary you thought they were, they're scarier. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, they're terrifying creatures, but I understand ecologically why we want them to continue to exist. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, one example that I found is, I mean, orangutans are sort of the species that's been used as the poster child against palm oil. There are apparently somewhere between 75,000 and 100,000 critically endangered Bornean orangutans, and about 10,000 of them are currently found in areas allocated to palm oil. So you can imagine as those are like expanding and expanding, that puts even more of this already critically endangered population at risk. So in addition to the direct loss of habitat from just clear-cutting their homes, palm oil plantations also increase human-wildlife conflict with species that are endangered. So orangutans, again, are a good example of this. Every year, somewhere between 750 and like 1,250 orangutans are killed in human-orangutan conflicts, which I imagine are just situations where orangutans are coming into conflict with humans because their natural habitat has been destroyed, they're looking for food or whatever. And the result is that these orangutan get killed. And that's often linked to the fact that these palm oil plantations have expanded. So the effect of palm oil plantations on biodiversity has been described as the creation of green deserts by a Jakarta-based ecologist whose name I couldn't find. Um, And I, I think that probably, does that square with your experience driving through that sort of green deserts, it's all sort of like the same, the same, the same? Uh, I, I don't know. Because when I, when I hear the word desert, I think of emptiness, even though that's not true. There's a lot of biodiversity in, in a desert. But I mean, obviously, driving, th- driving through the, the palm forests, it's still a forest, but it is very homogenous. I don't yeah. know. I guess if that's if that's what they mean by that, then it, yeah, yeah, and that like yeah, that was that was exactly what they were trying to convey with that for sure. I didn't see a lot of other plants, you know. So, but I was also on a bus. I I don't know. I I don't really want to <laughs> speak too strongly on that. It's not like I actually visit a plantation when I was in Malaysia. Yeah, but I, I'll I will say that like your impression is backed up by the research. So. I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? Like oil palms were introduced from a totally different continent to Southeast Asia. So they don't interact super well with the local ecology, which basically means like you're 
you're clearing these forests, you're putting in a whole bunch of new trees that the ecology around it doesn't really interact with that much. And so it ends up that you're going from a tropical rainforest, which is one of the most biodiverse ecosystems you can go from, to these these, these tree farms, basically, that has very little biodiversity in it. Yeah, where the, the bugs and the animals, maybe they can't eat palm because they didn't grow up with it, you know, historically speaking, or they can't, they can't hide as well because the camouflage isn't designed for palm. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know specific to um, the Indonesian deserts or um, rainforests, but in a lot of rainforest environments, there are plant life too that will like attach themselves to trees and rainforests and probably yeah. they can't do that on palm trees and the soil's totally different you know etc cetera, etc cetera. so the unfortunate thing though is even though there's been a really negative effect of palm oil plantations on biodiversity the reality is that boycotting palm oil is actually likely to displace rather than halt biodiversity loss because it wouldn't it would actually increase the production of other oil crops and Palm oil is a really productive plant. So one of the reasons it was produced initially was environmental sustainability, actually, because palm oil is so productive, you don't need very much land to grow it. I found a stat that basically looked at the tons per hectare that's produced by different oils. So like how, how many tons of this, this oil do you get out of one hectare of land? And all of the other oils that were on this chart were less than one ton per hectare, and palm oil was 3.3. So, so it's three times more productive. Yeah, more than three times more productive. So, so if you were to replace it with anything else, it would be three times more destructive. <laughs> yeah, and like one of the ones on this list is coconut oil, which has its own problems. We'll have to do an episode on it, right? So, like, you're not. The problem fundamentally is that we have to produce a lot of this stuff at an industrial scale, and we don't think enough about how to effectively use land without clearing forests. So as long as that problem's there, it doesn't really matter whether it's palm or some other plant, you're still going to have biodiversity issues. There'll be different ones because they'll be growing somewhere else. But it, the problem is the clear cutting, right? And Palm oil actually arguably creates less of that because it's so productive. It uses less, it, it requires less land to produce the same amount that you would need. Yeah. And it's not like you can turn around and ask people in India or China to stop using cooking oil. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? That's not a realistic no, way to go. No, it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you can't, likewise, um, you know, you can't ask everybody in the world to stop consuming vegetable oils. No, it's... And that also wouldn't be better. <laughs> so there's, there's going to be a demand for oil, for um, animal oils of some, animal or plant oils of some kind. And, you know, people have to be able to put it in food. Eat. And yeah, yeah. they just are going to. You have to consume fat. That's a thing that human beings consume. So basically the idea of Several environmental groups, and this is not like homogeneously what environmental groups think, but a lot of them, including the International Union for Conservation of Nature and the World Wildlife Fund, have preferred to take the approach where they're pushing for sustainability in palm oil rather than pushing for a boycott or a ban of palm oil. That's not universally what all NGOs think, but it's an approach that I personally think is a smart one, just given given that dilemma, right? That like you, you have to have some replacement for palm oil and it kind of seems like the alternatives will be worse. So you might as well make this as good as you can. Yeah. That's kind of where I was landing on it. Yeah. So sustainable palm oil would basically involve putting an end to the clearing of native tropical forests for new palm oil plantations. And it would limit demand for palm oil to non for non-food uses. So a lot of environmental advocates advocates are calling for getting rid of the use of palm oil in biofuels um, and for animal feed. Sustainable palm oil would also mean asking existing palm oil plantations to manage their land re responsibly by setting aside forests and other areas identified as important for biodiversity and for carbon. You want to talk about climate change a bit? Yeah. I mean, that's... <laughs> 
we've we've been dancing around it this whole time, so let's just dive in. Yeah. So as with deforestation and biodiversity, the problem here is land conversion. So forests and peatlands are carbon sinks. We already talked about how Indonesian peatlands are particularly good carbon sinks. And when these lands are converted into plantations, it releases greenhouse gases. And we also lose those carbon sinks over the longer run. So actually, this is kind of sad, but Indonesia's peatlands have gone from being a carbon sink to a globally significant source of emissions thanks to deforestation and the resulting forest fires. So oil palms like do also absorb carbon dioxide. They are plants, but they do it less effectively than forests. Um, So on net, you're losing out. Yeah. And then add, of course, the fact that in order to grow them, people are burning forests and releasing this peat uh, carbon sink that, you know, I I didn't phrase that very well, but you know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So when fire is used to clear lands for oil plantations, that first of all, as you were saying, emits greenhouse gases, but also creates air pollution. So you have these like smoggy areas and that that's shitty for everybody that lives around forest fires. We've talked about this on the podcast before. Forest fires suck. Uh, <laughs> and actually... Hot take. Hot take. Oh, literally hot. for that to be Get a pun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So people might not have heard so much about the forest fires in Indonesia last year because the bushfires in Australia were so destructive that they kind of really led the news. But they were also a big problem in Indonesia. And 80% of the fires that existed there were being set to clear land for palm oil plantations. So it, like, it was a big public discussion around the Amazon rainforest fires that soy crop fires were causing part of it. And like Bolsonaro was not preventing the setting of fires to clear these the forests. I think he was encouraging it. That was like a platform he ran on or something. Was like, yeah, he's I'll great. Get, <laughs> he's like, I'm going to make the industry better. I don't know. I, I I haven't been following Brazilian politics as closely as maybe I should, but I vaguely remember him having a pretty crazy platform when he was running a few years ago. Yeah, environmentalists were like, nah, bro, don't do this. And he was like, yeah, let's do this. And then the companies were like, nah, bro. <laughs> you're going to make us look crazy. We don't want that. <laughs> yeah. But that basically that same thing is happening with less Bolsonaro, but the same basic problem is happening in Indonesia with palm oil plantations where these fires are getting set when people are clearing land. And that's a major contributor to wildfires that as the climate warms become increasingly out of control. So we, we may not be able to get a handle on deforestation over the long run if there's a tipping point that's reached and these forests are no longer stable. And they just burn even like out, just burn out of control. Nobody's even trying to do it. It's just doing it on its own. Yeah. So the challenging thing again is that oil palm production is more productive than substitute crops. And, you know, there are other problems associated with the substitutes. So we would likely have to convert even more land to keep up with demand if we wanted to go that route. So the last environmental harm that I want to talk about is chemicals use and pollution, which palm oil plantations, they basically use a range of pesticides and herbicides as well as large amounts of fertilizer. And these products can pollute soil and groundwater. We've talked about those kinds of environmental problems in the past. And Although palm oil plantations aren't large users of pesticides and fertilizers overall, so they're not like, you're not using fertilizers and pesticides on palm oils to the same extent as you are in the wine industry, for example, but they are in use and they're often used indiscriminately, partially because there's just not a lot of regulation. And that can result in water pollution and also harms for workers. So chemicals can pose a big risk to the people that are working on palm oil plantation. And one example that I was able to find was an herbicide that's used on palm oil plantations called paracat dichloride, or paracat for short. And it's a highly toxic chemical that's actually banned in the EU and a lot of other countries for that reason. And in Indonesia, it's a restricted substance. So it actually 
In a lot of cases, it's being used illegally in Indonesia because there's a requirement that you have to have sufficient training and personal protective equipment to be able to use it, even in Indonesia. But Amnesty International found evidence that the use of Paracat was going on with workers that weren't trained and didn't have the right equipment. And workers were describing negative health impacts that they had after exposure to these chemicals. So that's just one example of how on palm oil production, you've got the use of pesticides, the use of herbicides and fertilizer that are causing harm not only to the environment, but also to the people that are working on plantations and also living in the communities around them. This is a problem that's also extended to palm oil mills, which also pollute, and they produce about 2.5 metric tons of effluent, which is basically just like water pollution, gross stuff that goes in water. So 2.5 metric tons of that for every metric ton of palm oil that's produced. So that's quite a lot of waste. Yeah. So that is the environment and palm oil. (laughs) Yeah. How do you feel? I mean, uh, palm oil is one of those things that I've looked into a little bit in the past. So I'm not as shocked by it as I was when we did seafood and clothing. But I'm still sad. <laughs> so that's the end of this episode for now. We're going we're gonna to do people in the next episode, you were saying. So for, for the next episode, we'll talk about human rights abuses and we'll also talk about what people can do. So the, what the sustainability labels are that you can use and which ones are, well, they're all kind of flawed, but which ones are the least flawed. Yeah, that's going to be really good. I, I, I mean, it's kind of like sugar. This is just such a big crop that it's, it's hard. Yeah. So you can get us on our Twitter account at Pullback Podcast. And I don't know the rest of the sign out. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's all we do. We don't have a Patreon or or nothing to plug. You just talk to us. That's what we like. We like getting uh, uh, feedback and people's thoughts. And I've had some really good conversations with people from this podcast now. So definitely hit us up on Twitter if you feel like uh, reaching out publicly or send us a private message. You can get us on Facebook as well. And if you guys want to learn more about this stuff before our next episode comes out, probably in two days, uh, check out Kristen's amazing research notes. She always does a really, really good job on those. So you can definitely get more information there. Yeah. And I'll just say, if you're interested in doing something as a call to action for part one of the episode, try to find the craziest name for palm oil derivatives. And uh, <laughs> if you find a really wild one, send it our way. Yes, please. That is a, that's, a, that's a fun call to action. Our call <laughs> to actions are always like, email your MP, but this one's kind of fun. So that's great. I love Don't it. Don't spoil the call to action for next time. <laughs> <laughs> great. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you on part two when it comes out in a couple of days. Wait, what is our Twitter? I think it's Pullback Podcast. I think so. I think it is, yeah. You can do the Twitter. I always do it. No, I don't know how to close this out. It's Pullback Podcast, so <laughs> I haven't learned that skill yet. <laughs> oh, do you want me to try? I mean, if you want, I just forget what our Pullback sure, handle I'll, is Sure, I'll put well. on my best Kyla hat. <laughs>